Okay, Rock Bible Church. You overly social animals. You know, we're going to get accused of overemphasizing fellowship as a theology doctrine. You know, yeah, they teach Bible. Yeah, they do worship. They do baptisms, the whole thing. But man, they fellowship. All right. Uh, good morning, Rock Bible Church. All right. Good to see you this morning. Uh, good to be here. Good to be back. We just uh, we rolled in last night from our our big Mexico uh, trip, house building, VBS, the whole thing. Uh, had a great great time. Fun stories. Some different things this year. New technology, you might say. And of course, thank you, Jan. Jan uh, leads that part of our ministry and coordinate coordinated everything. Um, and it was it was really. It was a job well done and a lot of fun. Um, uh, one of the things I want you to see is that uh, the whole group's at one site. We were doing two different sites, two different builds, 12 by 24 at one place and another family. And then we come back in June and finish the other 12 feet. Um, they figured out a way to do all 24 by 24 at one time. And they've changed the way they do the exterior walls. So they actually saved us time and saved costs. Um, Thursday, we were done by 10 in the morning. It was really kind of fun. And so uh, a little more relaxing, um, but much more bonding and, yes, more fellowship. So that was good. Um, uh, but we missed you, and we had a great time. And I want to make sure that we all understand the only reason this happens um, is because there's a church behind it and people that give and, and work and believe and trust God and um, and ultimately, God does it. Amen? Amen. Yeah. So, um, so yay God this week, huh? And we all made it back in one piece. We didn't leave anybody down there. I was tempted Almost. a little bit. Um, <laughs> but we made it back and uh, got back uh, yesterday. And, and, um, and so thank you for uh, everyone who's been involved in, um, in the fundraising, the dinner, the prayers, the donations, all that kind of stuff. It was really, really great. And uh, I understand we have room still in the summer. Not a whole lot, but there's a little bit of room. So if you still want to go, um, let us know. Talk to Jen or uh, email us, info at rockbiblechurch.com, and we can get you, um, get you going. So uh, in light of that, I want to thank Bryce Mackin, yes. lead elder, last week preaching it. Yes. We 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 sat in the uh, in the in the mess hall, and uh, we sat there and we watched the whole sermon, the whole thing, and we were hooting and hollering and all that kind of stuff, and uh, just really impressed. So good job, Matt Bryce, huh? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, come on. There you go. So uh, he'll probably be here second service, and and uh, we'll give him a high five and the whole thing. And um, I I told him there's there was one problem with the sermon is um, it was so good that now he's in the rotation. That's right. <laughs> so uh, so we'll, we'll get to enjoy that uh, moving forward. Yeah, and, and a great word. Yeah. I love the idea of us becoming a spring. And so it was very well said and a great passage, Woman at the Well. So thanks for that. Hey, uh, just real quick for fun. Um, some of you may remember uh, my little sister, Ricky, yeah. Ricky Berglund. Um, she worked in children's ministry here for uh, years and did a great job. And then she got interested in missions and went out to Malawi, Africa. And then she met a boy. And then we went out, what was it, uh, two years ago or something like three years ago. And we did a wedding in Malawi and the whole thing. Um, and she is having a great old time. Well, Vonwick got his uh, visa finally approved. Um, they're going to be here for Easter Woo! next week. So we'll get to see um, Ricky and Vonwick again. That'll be... That'll be kind of fun. So um, let's look forward to that. Hey, we're gonna we're gonna jump into um, Easter week, Passion week, Palm Sunday, and the Matthew uh, chapter twenty one passage uh, that speaks to it. And um, very excited of what it represents. And so let's jump into that after we pray. All right, Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for good reports, for the work that was done, uh, for what you saw what you called us to, what you made happen. 
for the people down there that you love, and Lord, for letting us be part of it. And I thank you for all the opportunities that will come in the future. May we be reminded um, that you are still alive and well and active, that your Spirit's uh, here, and may we believe in our hearts what we just sang, that you can come and rest on us, and we can be different. Pray that you would continue that process. May we enjoy it. May we call others to it. Uh, and then, Lord, may you be honored in it. We thank you for your son. And we thank you, Lord, that you're a God who sends your son to show up on the scene. Walks into town. And we thank you for today and how that represents what he did that Sunday. Thank you for all that came after that. And may we be mindful of it. Ask that you bless your word as we look at it. Uh, bless what's said, what's thought, and then the actions that come from it as we leave this place later. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Passion Week. Um, some of us, I hope you realize this, you know, the majority of the Gospels, the content comes from Passion Week. There, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of stories in the Bible and a lot of things about, you know, when he was born and there's a lot of Christmas, but the largest section of the Gospels is dedicated to the week of Easter. Um, and we have Good Friday and we have Peter and the sword and we've got all these different, we've got Lord's Supper right? On Monday, Thursday, that happens Passion Week. In fact, I'm very excited to invite all of you and your friends this Thursday to Lord's Supper service. More of a supper, less of a service. We're going to be outside. We're going to have tents. It's free. Uh, food's provided the whole thing, but we're going to do communion as a church together, pass the cup, pass the bread, and talk about what, why, why do we do that. Uh, that happened during Passion Week. Of course, we have the crucifixion, we have the resurrection, we have all of that uh, during the week, but we also have Jesus on trial, we have him in the temple, we have him teaching the disciples, interacting with people. In fact, Palm Sunday is, is the day where Jesus comes in and, and cleanses the temple. You remember that phrase, Jesus cleanses the temple? That's the, the nice way to say it, right? He goes in and, and he immediately starts having a difference. We get a bunch of stories. Um, I want us to see the value of the name for this day. Where Jesus comes on the scene, and we call it Palm Sunday. In fact, many of your Bibles, if you looked at that section, that passage, you read the title at the top. It's called The Triumphal Entry. Right? Well, I get the entry part. He came into town. What's the triumphal about? Let's figure that out. Let's start today. Uh, Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. I've got 11 verses for you today. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Um, what just happened there? It's very subtle. We usually think of it as happening in the Old Testament. Is that a little bit of a prophecy? prophecy? He says, hey, I want you to go into this next town. When you get here, here's what you'll find. Immediately. You won't have to look too hard. You know what a donkey looks like. Find it and bring it here. Now, Anybody remember, does this happen? It's about to happen in a couple sentences, right? Um, I want us to make sure we see this morning all the little things that play into what happened on Palm Sunday to this triumphal entry. Is this a triumph? Is this a win? He called it, hey, there's a donkey just inside town. I guarantee it. Go find it immediately. Bring it back. Um, who likes to win? Anybody like to win? All right. Now, let's be honest. How many of you like to win so much when you're playing little board games that you cheat just a little bit? Yeah? 
Uh, it's just a board game, okay? I'm not, I'm not talking about my taxes, right? But we like to win. I want you to enjoy that feeling of winning through this whole passage because there's a bunch of little wins. Now, is there a huge win coming on Friday? Absolutely, right? Is there a great, greater win on Sunday? Wonderful. Those are like playoff wins, right? Or the championship. But you know, a team has to win a few games before they get to playoffs. I want to see the wins that come up to. Um, because really, they're going to create some questions. At some point, we have to decide whether this was just a man riding into a no-name town or was this actually a king? We need to ask the questions, the fun questions. Some people would call them hard questions, but really that's for the pessimists. We're optimists. We're positive. Amen? We're going to ask the questions about this king. All right? Hence the title for this morning, The King in Question. Because guaranteed, when he was coming into that town, when the two disciples heard him ask, hey, go find this donkey, I bet you they had questions. I guarantee they had more questions than we did. But the answers are right there, and we're going to see them this morning. Let's keep moving. Go find this donkey, right, tied up. Untie them, bring them to me. Verse 3, if anyone says anything to you, that's going to happen, right? You walk into a town and you try to take somebody's car, if anybody's paying attention, there's going to be some questions. Somebody's going to say something, right? When this happens, you shall say, what? Lord needs them. Okay, we're going we're gonna to try this. Okay, we're going to have an interactive portion of the morning. I'm going to read the first part up to the comma, and then you're going to out loud repeat, right? We call this responsive reading. We're gonna, you're going to do those four words, all right? Uh, verse 3. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them. Who? The Lord. And it's not God. Oh. Shouldn't it say Jesus needs them? Or random woodworker, stonemason outside of town needs a ride? He says, The Lord needs him. Is that a little win? It is. Why? Because how is Jesus referring to himself? As the Lord. You know, later on in a couple days, he's going to be on trial before Pontius Pilate, and Pontius Pilate's going to ask him outright, are you the king? Jesus doesn't answer the question right then, does he? No, he's smart, knows how to handle himself, but does he answer the question here three days early, four days early? whatever. Um, he calls himself Lord. Well, that begs the question, right? Is it true? Can he prove it? And that's what we're going to see here. Uh, and he will send them at once. You tell them the Lord needs them and they'll send the donkey. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet saying, verse five, say to the daughter of Zion, behold, some guy is coming to you. Is that what it says? No, no, no. The king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a... Really? On a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Apparently, uh, way back in uh, Zechariah, he predicted that the king was going to come, and when the king came, he'd ride a donkey. Is that a little bit of a win? What? He said the Lord has need of him, right? And here's a little prophecy. You're going to go in, and you're going to find a what? A donkey. Why do you ask for a donkey? He's not a horse. And he's fulfilling a prophecy, right? When he gets on that donkey, if he gets on that donkey... What is his physical action saying? Who is he? Let's go with second line, third word. He's king. he's king. By his actions, he's projecting who he is. Ooh, can we do a commercial for a second? 
Do your actions project who you are? Say yes. Yeah? All the more reason to make sure you know who you are. Right? And who are you? You're God's. You're made in his image. You're his creation. Uh, he died for you. He paid for your sins. And he gave you a shot at eternal life. And commercial. Right? That's how we act. Um, saw a bunch of people act that way this week, by the way, down in Mexico. Pretty awesome. Uh, verse 6. Disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. That's a great devotional verse, right? You could use that in other ways, other times. Uh, they brought the donkey. Oh, wait, so how'd they bring the donkey? They, they must have found a donkey. Was the prophecy fulfilled? There we go. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks. And he sat on them. What a great little five-word clause. And he sat on them. Why is that so great? <coughs> Zachariah said the king comes on a donkey or a colt by him sitting on the donkey and say, we're about to ride into town. What's the statement that he's making? I'm the one Zachariah told you about. Right? Remember when your buddy Zach wrote you a letter? Hey, someone's coming, visiting. He was talking about me. This is a statement that Jesus makes in just that little phrase, which is why we have to read our Bibles. Amen? It's why we're called Rock Bible Church. Compelling ourselves and others to Christ. How do you do that? Scripture, right? How do you be Christ-centered? You be biblically based. And when we read our Bible, we got to make sure we catch the little things that are wins. And they're everywhere, folks. Um, you kind of know this because I point them out every chance I get every single Sunday. All the little wins. Every phrase God put there on purpose for a reason. This one was for us to see. Jesus didn't just randomly go into town and needed a ride. There was something on purpose going here. You think Jesus knew what Zachariah had said? Did he accidentally pick a donkey? You know, well, it's, you know, statistically significant that he could have picked something else or done something else. No, no, no. God does everything with a focus and on purpose. Right? Absolutely love that. Verse 8, most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road. Why would they do that? King's coming. Right? We're, we're paving the way. We're, we're putting a nice soft thing, keeping the dirt out. Those that didn't have coats, they cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. We call it Palm Sunday. It should be Coat Sunday. <laughs> Jacket Sunday. Tunic Sunday. Right? The majority of them put their clothing on the ground. Right? It was just the poor who didn't have something to put on the ground. They went and they cut the palms. And we love that. That no matter what your condition, you have something to offer. Or figure it out. And so it's developed this, this phrase, Palm Sunday. Uh, but the most of it was clothing. The crowds went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. There are so many prophecies uh, re regarding who the son of David is, the Messiah, the coming king, right? So what are the people saying? The ones that are paying attention that know the Torah, that know the writings, that know the prophets, what are they saying about Jesus? What did they just call him? Son of David, but the implication is son of God, the Messiah, the one, him who is sent. They're pretty clear. And then they, they say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Ooh. You heard that phrase before? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's from Psalms. Psalm 118. You're going to see it here in a few minutes. Right? Hosanna in the highest. Which Hosanna is this, by the way? Is this just a prophet? Is this one of God's messengers? A minor king? Is he just a, a, a pretty good priest? 
No, he's Hosanna, and he is the highest. This is a title reserved for God. Um, we're going to see it in this Psalm 118 thing. Um, and there's another little win that's going to come out of this. Uh, this win is the people recognize who he was, at least some of them. And when he entered Jerusalem, verse 10, the whole crowd, the whole city, was stirred up saying, who is this? Yeah, you can imagine there were some people in town um, spent less time on Scripture, spent less time on religion. They've kind of moved on, and they don't go to the temple anymore. But here's this huge crowd and this one guy and this big commotion, and what's their question? Their question is, what's going on? Why is he so special? What's all the commotion? Why the fanfare? And why are people stripping and throwing their clothes on the ground? Who is this? Is God drawing attention to who Christ is? Through all of this, are people on the outside paying attention? Is that a win? Absolutely. Absolutely. And the crowd said, the crowds, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Whoops. What just happened? We just took a hard left turn. Who did Jesus say he was? Lord, Lord right? The, the people who were paying attention, they called him Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Is there another kind? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. This is a fulfillment of Zechariah. This is in uh, parallel to Psalm 118. Was he a prophet from Nazareth? Yeah, he was, technically. But was he so much more? Yeah. That's like asking somebody, hey, uh, who's Scott? And they say, oh, uh, he's the guy that used to play uh, saxophone in elementary school band. Oh, okay, good, thanks. And the conversation's over? What happened to me being a husband or a parent or a pastor or a soccer coach or liking spicy food? Like, there's so many other things, right? We've left out some of the most important things. He's a prophet? Jesus? You got his name right. They got one of his roles right. They got his origin kind of correct. But I think we could do better on all three of those things. His role, prophet. Was he more than a prophet? Yes. yes, he's the son of God. What's his name? Jesus? How about son of God? How about Hosanna or Messiah? There were a few people named Jesus back then, right? He's more than just that name. And then was he from Nazareth, the Galilee, or can we do better than that? Where's he really from? He's from God part of the Holy Trinity. He's from before creation, before time. That first word in Genesis, the first word on the first page in the first sentence, beginning, he was before that. He was before beginning. I just, I think and I hope that some people when they said this, they said, yeah, it's the prophet Jesus from Nazareth with anticipation that there was more to it. My fear is that some said that and left it at just that. Which begs the question right above it. Who is this? It's a great question for us today. On Palm Sunday, who comes to town? Just a guy? Or is he the fulfillment of prophecy and the Messiah, one who will take away the sin of the world, the Lamb of God, who is the second part of the Trinity and the Son of the Father and all these different things, who can conquer death? You know, Easter um, kind of has no value if Palm Sunday has no value. We got to build to Easter. 
Well, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen? Amen. Amen. Um, I think there are questions about the king. I think this king is definitely in question. There were a lot of people who had doubts. In fact, uh, one of the disciples has enough questions that he's going to betray him in a couple nights from here. And some of the questions I think we need to ask are, are pretty simple ones. And I think we can find the answers right here in the text. Uh, the first one is this. What was said? What was said? Jesus says in verse 4 and 5, he says, hey, go, go find a donkey. That's a prophecy. I pointed out to you. It's a little win. But what's he proving there? How's he proving that he's God? Is he proving that he knows something that a normal human would be impossible to know or an exact donkey would be? We get through that verse into the next verse, we find out the donkey is there and they do bring him. And then it tells us that it was done to fulfill what was said or spoken by Zechariah. Chapter 9, verse 9, here we go. Right? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. He says, go get a donkey. He's referencing Zechariah. You go back and they would have known. What did Zechariah say? Not just king is coming, but salvation is coming. Has he just kind of directly called himself Savior? Ooh. We have to look at what was said. In fact, we're going to hear the people as he comes into town yelling, Hosanna, Hosanna in the high, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We got to ask ourselves, what was being said? And it comes from Psalm 118. We're going to look at that in just a minute. But the first question is, what was said? Why do we ask that question? Because we want to know what witnesses say. We want to testify. We want a testimony of witnesses, right? If you're in court and you had to prove something, you do a lot better if you have witnesses, right? If it's just your word against theirs, good luck. Hope the judge had a good meal that morning and was in a good mood. What we love about Scripture, what we love about God, is that He gives us multiple witnesses in many, many ways. In fact, the reality is, um, this is a book about God. Amen? First and foremost. Is it a book about us? Kind of too. You know what else is it, is this book is about? It's chock full of witnesses. Witnesses. To what? God Himself. And how He acts. And what is truth. In fact, do you know this? Um, the word martyr, what's the word, what's, what's martyr mean? What, what happens to a martyr? Huh? Come on, people, get your soccer voice out. What happens to a martyr? No, some of them get killed. What happens to a martyr is he goes and gives a witness. The word martyr in Hebrew, it means witness, not die. They just started killing the messengers. And so we put our own meaning on it. We're very good at that as humans. We can take something of value and we can put our own meaning on it. And then we file it in a different category. Um, what's the most dangerous thing to do that with? Jesus. We have Jesus and we put our own meaning on him. And we miss the meaning others said of him, what they witnessed, what they experienced, how it was true for them. One of the greatest things about our Bible is we read what he has been like, and then we start to ask the question, how will he be that still with me, with you? We got to know what's said about him. Second question, what did he What's the feeling? Any guesses? What, 
No, we, we already did the said thing. What did he do? Did he tell him to go get a donkey? Man, he's making a statement there with his actions. Does he get on the donkey? He sure does. Does he ride into town on a donkey? Does he say, oh, I'm really sorry. I was tired, and so I got a donkey, but I'm, I'm not doing the thing about Zachariah. That's not about me. Does he do that? No. He walks in in all his... Well, walks in. He rides in in all his glory. And then he starts quoting things and fulfilling things. Did he fulfill Scripture? says twice, two different ways. Absolutely. He knew where he was headed. Did he still come to town? He didn't find something else to do. I know the Romans are coming for me. I know I'm going to die. He predicted it multiple ways with his disciples. Hey, take me to Jerusalem. They're going to kill me, and in three days I'm going to rebuild. Woo. And he still comes on the scene. Folks, my favorite part, my favorite part about Palm Sunday and the triumphal entry is not so much that he was going to die for our sins a few days later or for us, that he was going to conquer death and those things. One of my favorite things about Palm Sunday is that God shows up on the scene. And I'm taken back to Genesis chapter 3. We're just a couple sentences into the whole story and God shows up on the scene. Oh, I gave you one rule, you messed it up. All right, I think I got to come down there, right? He jumps in the cage with them and says, what's going on here? Who told you you were naked? Jesus does the same thing. He does it on Christmas when he enters the scene. Humble in a manger. Was that a fulfillment of prophecy? Yes. Is it prove who he is and what he's capable? Yes. But one of the things we need to understand and value at the highest level is that he's a God who shows up on the scene. He doesn't give us notes and say, good luck. Hey, try this experiment by yourself. Go see if you can get some teammates. I'll be over here. Right? I really, there's something that really bothers me about Lord of the Rings. You know the movie Lord of the Rings? You got the wizards and all that, and the hobbitses. It really bothers me that the hobbits have hair on the top of their feet. No, that's not what I'm talking about. Gandalf is this great wizard. And every time something goes down, where's Gandalf? Bro, you're the wizard. You should be in the middle of this, like fighting the whole thing with me, right? And then people want to tell me that the wizard, oh, he's like kind of an image of God in the story. Not in that part, he's not. Not in that part. Because my God shows up on the scene and he solves stuff. You're naked, I put these on. You can't solve sin. I gave you one rule, you messed that up. I gave you 10 rules, you messed that up. You had a myriad of rules that all your priests came up with. It's like, we'll create more rules to see if we can follow the 10 rules and get back to the problem where we, where we jacked up the one rule. And after all of that, he says, yeah, you're not gonna figure this out. Let's try Christmas and Easter. Let's do that. I'm gonna come on the scene. And then he starts teaching, correcting, and the whole thing. What does he do? You know what happens right after this? You know what happens? We stopped at verse 11 today, right? And I said, may the Lord bless the reading. You said, amen, yeah. You know what happened if we kept going right there? And Jesus entered the temple and started flipping over tables. He shows up on the scene and immediately starts cleaning house. I love that. You know what he says? As it is written, my house. Ooh. Now, was he quoting scripture that someone else said that it was supposed to be a prophet about what God was saying back when the prophet wrote it, that it was my being God's house? Yes. Jesus shows up in the temple, starts throwing tables over. It says, my house. I love that. And it make, just absolutely makes me crack up anytime I watch a sporting event and some athlete has a good day and they score some points or put a sphere through a cylinder or whatever. 
put a sphere through a rectangle or I don't know, run a little bit faster, jump a little higher, whatever. And then in the post-game interview, they talk about, oh yeah, today I showed this is my house. <laughs> That's not your house. You threw a ball, kicked the ball, whatever. I know who the house has belonged to. When Jesus walked in, he said, this is my house. And there are certain things we're not doing anymore. If you keep doing it, it won't work. But you follow me, paradise. Fun, efficiency, effectiveness. Some goofy. Love that. He says, come follow me. He walks into the heat of the fire. You know, we sing that song sometimes. There's another in the fire standing there with me. That's the story from the book of Daniel. In the furnace. Didn't we put three in there? There's four. Now, have I forgotten how to count? Or is there an extra being in there? A lot of people like to say, yeah, an angel came to protect them. What does your pastor say? I think it was God in that furnace. Because we have a pattern now of him showing up in the garden, him showing up to wrestle with Jacob, him showing up in the, in the furnace, him showing up on Easter, him showing up in Jerusalem the week that he was supposed to die. And he says every single time, do your worst. Is that all you got? You know, it's, it's funny to me because people talk about arguing with God or competing with God, right? Well, you know, God and I are in, in an argument. God and I are working something out. No, no, you're not. No. He's teaching you. He's molding you. I mean, you can talk to him all you want, but it's not for him, for your own sake. He'll listen to you, and he'll help you adjust. But you're not in competition with him either. Because for competition, for there to be a rivalry, doesn't each team have to win once in a while? It's kind of like the Raiders and the Broncos. There's no rivalry there. Nobody talks about this rivalry. Raiders never beat the Broncos. <laughs> There's no rivalry. It's sheer dominance. In fact, I don't know, maybe the Broncos can go into Raider Stadium and say, this is my house. Might be true. That's me being goofy, okay? But here's the point. There is no competing with God. He will do what he wants to do eventually with you or without you. I mean, he would do something without me? Yep, and he'll be really good at it. He'll be perfect at it. Wow. I better be listening to then what was said and what he did. So I can be part of it. Here's the fun part. If he's on the scene, right? In the Chronicles of Narnia, they would say it as um, Oslin's on the loose, right? If he's on the loose, if he's on the scene, if he knows where the donkeys are, Let's, let's play with him. How about we make him team captain, make him coach? How about he be the leader on the hike or whatever? Let him be the project manager. Let him be the pastor. Let's follow what he's doing now. I mean, it begs the question, another question, right? Is he here? I mean, understand this. I want to say this. Um, at the risk of getting in a little bit of trouble for being snarky, but I want you to understand the value of it, the theology of it. We just sang, come rest on us. What were, what were we singing about? We were talking about the Spirit. Come rest on... I like that. But it's, it's cute. <gasps> How dare you say it? No, understand this. In reference to Jesus, the Holy Spirit coming and resting on us, that's cute. Jesus was actually on the scene physical, talking, touching, the whole thing. How great is that? 
Now, don't get into the arguments or the emails. Well, there's an advantage to the Spirit, Scott, because the Spirit can be everywhere and can influence all people at all times. Yes, I get that too. Thank you for the theology lesson. And we want that. We want the Spirit to rest on us and influence us. But it does testify or give a witness as to the Spirit is like Jesus and that it shows up. One of the greatest things we love about Jesus, what did he do? He showed up. He walks into the middle of the fight and says, oh, you guys thought this was a fight. That's cute. There's no fight here. I'm in total control of all of this stuff. I already run one, and most of them don't know it. Love that. And you saw Jesus do that in a bunch of different scenarios. Walking on water, lady caught in sin, lady at the well that Bryce talked about last week, all kinds of stuff. It just questioning the disciples and them trying to mumble through answers. He solves it every time and says, ah, this was never in question. Nothing was at risk. You need not fear. In fact, the most common message from an angel is what? In scripture. Fear. Fear not. Interesting. Must be because nothing's at risk. Because what he's done and what he can do and what he will do determines everything. Amen? What a great great idea. Um, lastly, uh, the question is the one that the people asked. Verse 10. I put it at the top of your, uh, the outline there. Um, who is this? What a great question for us today. Is he a prophet named Jesus from up in Nazareth? Is that who he is? Or is he Savior, Messiah, coming King, Son of David, Son of the Father, conqueror of death, solution to sin. And the one that he said, Lord, capital L. Is he Lord? There are mixed answers in that crowd. People who are watching it up close and then people who are gathered to the scene they had a lot of different answers for who is this. Our question needs to be, who do I say that he is? Because if he is just a guy, or just a special guy, or a decent prophet, or a unique priest, we're wasting our time, folks. We'd be better off selling used cars. But Psalm 118... Remember that? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Right? I told you that's from Psalm 118. Let me, let me ask you a couple fun little questions. You ever heard this phrase? Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. You ever heard that before? Yeah. That's the first verse of Psalm 118. That's the first verse from the psalm where we get that phrase. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord right? We get that down at the end. It's way at the bottom, you know, verse 26. You know what the last verse of Psalm 118 is? It's the same as the first, right? Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. In fact, it's repeated a bunch of places. You ever heard this one? The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. You ever heard that one? Oh, too many times, right? Uh, some people think that loosely Rock Bible Church got its name from that verse. And loosely, that would be true. That's uh, verse 22 of Psalm 118. You ever heard this one? This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Have you ever heard that one? If you've been to one of my weddings, you have. I say it at every wedding. Why? Because it's a party and we're going to celebrate. Hey, welcome. She's going to say yes to him and he's going to give her a ring and the whole thing. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. 
That's verse 24 of Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is popular today just like it was popular back then. You know what it says, verse 26? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you for, from the house of the Lord. And here's the one you might not know. Verse 28, the last verse before they close the psalm with the starting phrase. They close it with the same phrase. The last thing that's said before that, you are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. <laughs> there cried out the psalm that a couple sentences later says, you're my God, and he's riding in on a donkey. Man, I hope more people would get that message. It's not a guy on a mammal. It's God showing up on the scene. Solving, caring, and saying nothing's at risk here. I will let you Jews and you Romans do the worst possible to me. And you can do it on display. And a few minutes later, it'll be like nothing happened. Because I'll be showing up again. <laughs> you know what the cool part about Easter is? The stone is rolled away, right? He's not there. And what does the angel say to the ladies when they walk in? Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Man, I'm almost cheating and getting into Easter already. It's only Palm Sunday. And then Jesus walks, meets with the disciples, some of them on the road, some of them later in a, at a meal, and the whole thing, he keeps showing up. How has God showed up for you? Who is he to you? I was thinking about this. I've known for many years that today I was going to talk about Palm Sunday. Right? But in the last week, we're in Mexico. And, and we are surrounded by limitations. Just limits everywhere. And one of the things that I think God does for us is he takes us down there and shows us how he takes away limits. And I thought to myself, wait a minute. If he took it away, was it really a limit? If it was a limit, I couldn't take it away. So it's not a limit. It's a perceived limit. That's it. So the problem of limit or the problem of perception. Ooh, I love that. How could God be on the scene and take away some of your perceived limits? Do you know what your perceived limits are? Because I sat with a guy this week and talked with him for over an hour about his perceived limits. And then I'm thinking to myself, got to use that on Sunday. And there, we used it. Take it. Run with it. With him. Because we're going to make the argument that through the Holy Spirit coming and resting on us, Jesus is still on the scene. Amen? Lord, thank you for, uh, for being an interactive on the set, always capable, always caring, always paying attention kind of God. Thank you, Lord, that um, you never leave us to ourselves. We have many, many ways that you interact with us. I pray that you would help us to see those, engage with those, 
uh, honor them, promote them. Help us to be witnesses that you're alive and well, that you're not done yet, and we need not be either. Lord, I, want, I just want to take a minute. If you're, if you're in here or you're watching online and you've got some questions, he can handle the questions. And he will give you answers to where you'll realize it's not a question anymore. He has no limitations. He fears nothing. And he wants to bring you into that same kind of relationship. Ask God your questions. Tell him your emotions. Talk to him about what you see. And then tell him your hopes. Now some of you, if you're, if you're in a different boat where you've never started a relationship with him, Maybe your prayer is, God, I want, uh, can we finally start talking? I know I'm the limit on this one, and it was a perceived limit. I'm moving past that. I want to be in a relationship with you. Accept your son, the fact that he died on the cross and conquered death, but I accept the fact that he shows up on the scene like Palm Sunday, and I want him to show up for me. Maybe that's your prayer. Show up for me, God. If that's you, I want to know. Our church wants to know. We want to help. Lord, thanks for all this. Thanks for the offering we're about to receive and pray that you would bless it. And for those who are guests, help them to feel no obligation to give, recognize this is something we do as a family. We pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Welcome to Passion Week. Hope you'll be passionate. Uh, Thursday, love for you to join us. We have Lord's Supper uh, right out here. Um, I think, it, is it 6 o'clock? I think it's 6 o'clock. Do we have confirmation that it's 6 o'clock? Okay, 6 o'clock. Okay, I just said 6 o'clock six times so that you would remember. <laughs> right? I actually was planning that in my head. Um, May you continue to question God because he's on the scene. Amen? Go with him.